I've been speaking a little bit on, on love, and if you weren't here uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think we preached the first sermon on it. I, I actually spoke about the wrath of God, which is kind of an interesting subject. You don't think it fits in with the love of God. But if you haven't heard that, I would recommend kind of going back and maybe listening to that on the podcast and, and letting that be a foundation for a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. We're going to continue to talk about love, and I'm going to, I'm going to speak from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, before we get into it this morning, though, I want, I want to pray before we... Before we get into this, um, one of the things that's just really been heavy on my heart uh, is is just, I feel like, you know, it's hard for me to explain what I I want want to try to say this morning, but, um, you know, one of the things as I was praying this morning that the Lord reminded me of was that when God really came into my life and began to heal me spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, and physically... In my thoughts, I had this image of God that somehow he was, he was going to be angry at me. He was going to be upset with me because of all the times that I had failed him. And in the moment that I got set free, it was actually a product of the fact that I came into an encounter with God and his love was revealed to me. When I, when I first experienced that, I, I told everybody the way I described it was that he poured a hot bucket of liquid love all over me. That's what it felt like. And I, I don't really know how to explain it, but, but the Lord said to me, I feel like that, that we're dealing with a lot of sicknesses. And I know, obviously, you know, people get sick with the flu and this and that. But when it comes to physical healing, when it comes to mental and emotional healing, it's not so much used to when I would go to church. You know, I'm Pentecostal, and so when we went to church, man, if somebody needed healing, like we'd, we'd call them up and we'd lay hands on them and we'd be, ah, you know, I mean, we'd be going after it. Because we were trying to manifest, we were trying to work up the power of God. And the Lord spoke real gently to me, and he said, Son, how many, how many people have you really seen healed? And I said, Well, you know, I, I, I started listing in my mind people that I've seen healed from physical things and people that I've seen healed from mental and emotional things. I was telling somebody the other day that we saw, we saw a person get delivered from multiple personality disorder just, just a few weeks ago. And so God is healing people. God is delivering people. But the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Now, in the context of when you really saw people healed, was it in some kind of big, big powerful working? up manifest and trying to get your faith worked up into a frenzy to make it happen or was it when they were in a position where they were at peace and knew that I loved them and therefore they were able to receive it I said Lord had to be the second part because I've not seen actually that many things happen when we try to work stuff up matter of fact I've seen a lot of people fall down on the floor and get back up the same way they fell down you know what I'm talking about and not that that's a bad thing but I, I just really sense that what, what the Lord's saying is you receiving deliverance and you receiving healing and you receiving the blessing from God that He wants for you to have is not so much a test of you being able to get your faith up as it is you being able to come into a position where you know that God loves you. And when you know that He loves you, you can easily receive from Him. It's easy to receive. The Bible actually says in, I think it's Galatians 5, 5.2 or 5.6, somewhere around in there, it says that faith works through love. The way that your faith comes into a position where you can receive from God is because you know that you're loved by Him. And so before we go, I, I want to pray. And how many people, if you just want to acknowledge it, I'm not going to ask you to come up. We're going to pray for you with you just seated right there. But how many people would just acknowledge, man, I, I need God to bring healing into me or, or, or maybe even somebody in my family. It could be physically, it could be mentally and emotionally. Uh, it could be a lot of different things. We got a lot of people here. Anybody else? You just, I just, I need healing in this particular part of my body. I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. 
And see, faith is simple. The reason Jesus was able to heal so many people, he went to his hometown one time, and there he could do no mighty work, the Scripture says, because except he could heal a few sick folk because of their unbelief. But the reason they didn't believe is because they didn't know who he was, and they didn't know how much that he loved them. And right now, I just want you to imagine, if Jesus were to walk into you, I want you to know this, that he would not be disappointed in you. He would not be frustrated with you. He would not be angry with you. He would smile at you because he would be so happy to finally be able to set you free, to finally be able to bring healing in your life. And right now, God wants, wants some of you to know that, that, that it seems like some difficult things have happened and everything's been robbed and everything's been taken and you may not be able to overcome in that particular area. But I believe right now he's saying, if you, ju- if you could just know right now in this moment how much that I love you, you'd be able to receive my healing. And so, Lord, right now, we just, I pray for a revelation of that love. And, Lord, as we open your word, God, just teach us what love really is. But I pray that each person would have an encounter that would come into a revelation of that love that you have for them. And Lord, in this moment, we just receive healing. We speak healing into minds, into hearts. We speak to fear and anxiety. We command that to go. Perfect love casts out all fear. The Lord says he has your life right in his very hands and that nothing has taken him by surprise. He loves you so much he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He loves you so much that any attack on your body or your mind, that's what he gets angry at. That's what he's angry at. He's angry at the, the, the demonic that torments you. He's angry at the sickness and the disease that torments you. And that's where he focuses his anger because he loves you so much. And so, Lord, we just receive healing. We speak healing. We speak deliverance right now in the name of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you to move. Just ask you to move in each heart and each mind and each body. You just say, Lord, I receive it, and I receive your love this morning. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. I ask you to fill me with your love in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all feel good this morning? The Lord wants you to know how much he loves you, man, and women. Amen. I'm telling you, when you can live, it changes you because I, I, I noticed one of the things too is I'm just sitting there in dialogue with the Lord this morning. You know, certain people came to my mind. Uh, some, some of you, I didn't know y'all were coming this morning and some of y'all came to my mind this morning. Heather Cantrell, which I call her Osborne back there. You came to my mind this morning. And I, I just feel like the Lord, a lot of you all, a lot of you women, the Lord just wants, to, wants you to know how much that he loves you, that he's got you right where he needs you. And I know there's difficulties and circumstances that y'all are facing that are confusing, but he says, look, I love you so much, and I brought you to this point for a purpose, for a reason. And I'm going to continue to show you just how much I love you. That's what he wants you to know this morning. Amen. Well, listen, let's, let's, let's get into it. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verses 1 through 5. We'll, just, we'll try to work our way through some of this together. If you could take that, take that off, put those scriptures up for me. 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's saying, look, you can speak in tongues all day, and tongues are a good thing. Matter of fact, he said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. But he said, if I don't have love, what I am is I'm just religious noise. And he goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, 
I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. So Paul is talking about love here. And I I love the way that he puts it in the Bible and exactly where he puts it because it's very interesting. He puts it, the, the chapter before, previously, he's talking about spiritual gifts. He's talking about that power we were talking about. Like when we pray and we believe God for miracles and we believe God for healing and there's prophetic utterance. And I'll just be honest with you, as a church, I believe that those are things that the Scripture teaches us that we should seek after. We should not be the type of people that sit back and say, well, Lord, if you want to do miracles, you can do it. It's up to you. No, we should be the type of people, as Scripture says, that we earnestly desire and pursue God's miraculous breaking into our world. Amen. God is a God of miracles. You believe that this morning. God wants to do miracles in your midst because that's how He reveals Himself oftentimes. And He wants to demonstrate that He is a miracle-working God, that He heals the sick, that He raises the dead, that He cleanses the lepers, and that He can speak into a person's life when they're hopeless and broken and in despair. And that word that is spoken in, in a due season can set them free and give them hope once again. So Paul is saying, look, you've got to earnestly desire these things. And then in the chapter after that, in chapter Chapter 14, he's saying, now this is how it should be done in order. But right in the middle, he says, now I need you to know something, though. You need to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. But he says, here's what I need you to know. You can speak in tongues and interpret tongues. You can give prophetic words. You can, give he- you can pray for healing and people can get healed. But he says, if it's not motivated by and ultimately the end goal of it all is love, he said it amounts to nothing. And it's crazy because when we look at church and we, we, when we evaluate whether or not we're doing good, like if we're, if we're doing good as a church, a lot of times we, we, will, we will judge it based on, well, how well our church is doing. Because you can have a very good church service, you can impress people. And people will say, man, they had good music this morning. The preacher gave a good word. I love the way their church is set up. Children's church is good. You can impress people with your church. But he says at the end of the day, if all your programs are awesome and you don't have love, you've got nothing everything ultimately centers back and comes back to love and it is the center point of all things and it is the only way that we can ultimately gauge whether or not we're spiritually healthy people or not you know and i don't want to say this to make us feel bad as a church but we took we took this big test where we handed out a bunch of things um about to to people and and we did well in a lot of in, in in most every area we did well but there were nine different categories of what we did well in and one of the categories we did really well in was empowering leadership see and that just means that leaders say well we want you to step up and be do what do what God's called you to do so that was good but but Donald asked me he said what do you think we scored the lowest in and I immediately said loving relationships and it was correct it was correct because a lot of times I think I think we and it's not and listen there are people here there are people here that, that are some of the most loving people that I know. So I don't want you to feel like that. I'm, say, I'm saying that as reprimanding people. But I want you to understand that above all things, everything we do, we should have empowering leadership. We should have good small groups. We should have all those things. But our church and every church should always be known first and foremost for their loving relationships. The fact that they're willing to lay down their lives for their brothers and sisters. That is, that is and because if, if we miss that, we've missed everything. Paul, James, Jesus, they all said the whole fulfillment. He said, he said, if you fulfill love, you fulfill all the law. But he said, if you fulfill all the law and don't have love, you miss it all. Amen. 
You can do all the right things. You can go to church. You can, and, and in a church, people can do all the right things. Man, they can pray for the sick. They can preach the gospel. They can have all these things. But if they're not actively loving people, then we're missing the mark. Now, Jesus was love. He was the perfect picture of love. And what's so interesting to me about Jesus is He's different than any religious system you've ever seen. Because Jesus comes in to a, to a religious system and the prostitutes and the tax collectors are drawn to him. They're drawn to him. Now, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because, because as a Christian, you've got to ask yourself, are people who are living in, 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 in sin as you would see it, are they drawn to you or are they afraid of you? Are they drawn to you? Do they just, do they feel like, like when they come into your presence, do they feel like, man, I know that this, this person's a Christian person, so I, I, because, because people get around me and I notice sometimes they try to change their behavior, they try to change their language, because they just know that I'm a preacher. Just, obviously it means they don't know me very well, because I don't care. I mean, they can cuss, they can do what they want to. I can't change them. I'm going to love them. It's not up to me to be their moral guardian. It's up to me to point them to Jesus and the love of Jesus And He will transform their lives if that's a reality. But see, Jesus was so attractive because when people got in Jesus' presence, what did they feel like? They knew, man, this guy cares about me. A a prostitute would come into His presence and they would know every other preacher in this community will not even look in my direction because they can't stand to be seen next to me. Right? But when they came in Jesus' presence, they knew, man, this guy loves me. There's something about him. And see, Jesus is different because the the church at large, if we'll be honest with ourselves, the church at large is not accused of loving people in scandalous ways usually. The church is more so accused of having a spirit of Phariseeism, right? We're like Pharisees. We're religious people. And ultimately people, they run away from us. They're scared to come into our midst and and different things. I talked to a guy, you know, I, I felt impressed this past week to go and, and speak with a young man and, and I went and talked with him and, 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 and he was just blown away because I really felt like the Lord gave me something to say to him and, and he really felt like it was from God and he started telling me just stuff that he was struggling with and how bad things had happened in his life and he wasn't even sure if he believed in God or not. So I said, well, you know what, man, no pressure, but I'd love for you to come to small group. I'd love for you to come to church. I'd love for you to be with us. And then, and then so, so he said, I'm going to come, man. And, and, and then he didn't come. And then I saw him again out in town. He was like, he was like, man, I just, I felt bad, dude. I got drunk Saturday night and I didn't want to come into church hung over the next morning. And I just felt real bad. And I told him, I said, listen, man, I've been right where you've been at. I've been, I've been in a place where I wanted to change my life and couldn't find the strength to do so. And I said, I need you to know something. There's no pressure from me. I love you. And if you get drunk on Sunday night and come in Sunday morning smelling like booze, I will still love you. We'll still be friends. I said, because you need to know that God loves you through your weaknesses. You need to know that God loves you through your weaknesses. Yes, does he, does he want you to change? Does He want you to quit drinking? Absolutely. But that doesn't change how He feels about you right now. He loves you right now. And the church has to be able to effectively allow people to know that in their weaknesses. Paul says we can do all the right stuff, but if we don't love people, then we're missing the mark. We're, we're, we're missing what we need to do. Now, now I want to get into this a little bit more because in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul gives a big list and he opens it up and he says, this is what love is like. This is what love is like. This is what love is like. But here's what love is not like. See, because he lists some things that it's not like. And I want to, I want to tell you one thing that he does not add into there. And that's number one in your notes. Put that up there. Number one, love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. We say, well, everybody knows that, Clay. 
Everybody knows that, Pastor. Everybody knows that. Do we really? Because a lot of times we won't do things unless we feel them first. A lot of times we won't act on things unless we first feel them. I have to feel like I love this person. I have to look at a person on the street and get these warm fuzzies and these goosebumps and all this stuff. Now, I've got to be honest with you. When me and my wife, we first started hanging out and stuff, I remember, you know, I was driving down the road, and the first time she touched my hand, it's like an electric bolt, you know, went through me. <laughs> so I'm all about the feelings. I, I appreciate the feelings. Right? We know all about the feelings. My heart started racing. I got goosebumps. I almost threw up. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So the feelings, there's something about the feelings, and we'll get into that. We'll get into what makes that happen. But Paul is not talking about that kind of love. Everything he lists, has, and it's got a lot to do with commitments. It's got a lot to do with deeds. But it has nothing to do with feelings or how you feel. It has absolutely nothing to do with how you feel. So love is not a feeling. And see, what you, our culture almost exclusively identifies love as a feeling. There's this dude named John Mark McMillan. He's got, this, he's got this song I really like. He says, love, it ain't like the chemicals, babe, because the chemicals don't hang around. I mean, you may feel good when you start out dating, but then you get you, with that person a long time, guess what? Those same chemicals are not always firing in your brain anymore. You don't always feel that same way that you felt initially whenever you were experiencing all that stuff that you were overwhelmed with. But people feel that, man, especially when they're young, and they're like, ah, I just love this person. And really, they're just having a bunch of chemical reactions. Amen? They don't really know what love is. And he's saying, see, what I need you to understand as well is feelings war on your true love because you begin to trust what your feelings are telling you is true rather than what the Word of God tells you is true about how you should love people. And so we define almost everything by how we feel. And we say to ourselves, and in our culture we say, if I don't feel it, then it isn't true. And even when we come in here this morning, believers question whether or not God really loves them. You know why? Because they don't feel God's love all the time. Anybody amen me on that? They say, I just don't feel God's love. And I need you to understand that you cannot draw conclusions of truth from the way that you feel. Your feelings are not accurate as it pertains to truth. They're not. And some, you get up, man, and I know, I know, especially, especially when, you're, when you're learning to live for God, you're just in the initial stages of it. Man, you wake up one morning, you got the craziest feelings in the world. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm fearful, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, what day is it? And I'm, I'm freaking out, and I, got all these, and I got this anxiety. It takes me 10 or 15 minutes to set in the truth of God's Word to get established in a right understanding of what the truth is and who I am in Christ and who God is in my life before I come back into peace. And I realize, man, all that stuff I felt was a lie this morning. That was crazy chemicals going off in my mind. Maybe the devil attacked me while I was asleep, but nothing about the way I felt, felt was actually true. This morning. So you got to understand that, that. And your feelings are a chemical reaction in your brain. When you think thoughts, you see pictures and you have images in your mind. And all of a sudden, you ha- those images represent something in your mind. And your emotions are triggered because you have chemical reactions in your brain. And you begin to respond to that. Let me tell it to you like this. I can go up to somebody. I, I go up to somebody in here and say, you know what? You're dumb, fat, and ugly. And you know what? They just laugh at me. I say, <laughs> you're crazy, buddy. That's wild. Because to them, what I just said represented a joke. Or it represented the fact that, well, you know, Clay, he likes to joke with people sometimes, and he knows that ain't true. He wouldn't do that. So they just laugh about it. 
I could go to another person or row over, say the exact same thing, you're dumb, fat, and ugly, and they could break down weeping and crying. How is it that the same external cause can cause something so radically different in different people? Because let me tell you this, you have been programmed in your mind by the world around you to think a certain way about God, to think a certain way about yourself, and the person who identifies themselves as dumb, fat, and ugly, if I say that to them, man, it hits that part of them in their emotions. And as soon as I do that, it hits that register in their thought life where they say, yep, that just confirms the way I've been feeling about myself all this time. And all of a sudden, they shatter and they break down. Because guess what? What I said affirmed their feelings. Now, on the same token, I can come in here and tell you this morning, just like what I told you, that God loves you that God wants to heal you, that God wants to deliver you, that He's on your side. And if you are so rooted in your old thought patterns, you won't even receive what I just told you. You know why? Because you don't feel that love. Because you don't feel it. And so if you tell me that you don't feel the love of God for you, it doesn't tell me anything about reality. Because I know God loves you. He's already demonstrated. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago for every sin you've ever committed. He bled on the cross while we sped on him, while we put nails in his hands, and he said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they're doing. I love them so much I'll die in their place. I'll take a scourge across my back 39 times. That's how I know he loves me. He don't have to do nothing else to prove to me that he loves me. But it's hard for us to believe that sometimes. And so when I say that God loves you because you don't feel it, you reject it. Amen? We let our feelings begin to tell us these different things. So this is why the Bible actually teaches, Romans 12 too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me tell you this, your mind has been programmed to believe a certain thing about God, to believe a certain thing about yourself, and your identity is rooted in your experiences, what you've thought about yourself, what your mom and dad told you you were, what your friends told you you were, what some bullies said to you when you were a kid, and you've adopted this identity, and, and the Bible says that's a false identity. You have to put off that old man and put on the new. And you have to get in the Word of God and let the Word of God be true, and every man a liar. The Word of God is the only truth that I can come to to know who I truly am. I can't take your word for who I am. I can't let anybody else define who I am. Because sometimes people will come up to me and sometimes I say, I'm just this way, you know, I'm just that way, I'm just this way, I'm just introverted, I'm just this, I'm just that. Well, I, I lock myself into that. And what I have to do is I have to allow the Word of God to renew my mind to who I am in Christ. And I have to put, take every thought captive and say, no, that's not what God says about me. That's not what God says about me. And i got to wake up every, every day, every morning. You, Brian said it this morning when he, when he walked in. He said, I just, I'm just glad I'm his beloved. But if you, if you honestly live from that position every day, if you could get up every morning and somebody said, how you doing? You just say, I'm just glad I'm his beloved. I'm just glad that I know that he loves me. And if he loves me and he's for me, then who in the world could ever be against me? I know that he loves me. That's why in the book of John, John called himself the one whom Jesus loved. It wasn't about whether or not he loved Jesus. He just knew every day how much Jesus loved him. And if you know how much Jesus loves you every day, you got no fear. You have no anxiety. You don't have worries because you know your Father in heaven who created all things, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, is the one who loves you, counts the hairs on your very head, and will not let one fall to the ground without Him noticing it. He loves you that much. He pays attention. 
He pays, uh, he's, he's into the details. And see, so your ticket to freedom is to understand that feelings are not the guide to truth and the word of God alone can tell us what is true. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, 28, Luke chapter 6, it begins to talk about uh, how, how that we should love our enemies. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now that lets me know, I don't know about you, but when I read that, that lets me know that immediately love is not based on feelings. Because I want you to understand something, an enemy is an enemy, why? Because you feel bad about them. You realize that? An enemy is an enemy because you have bad feelings toward them. But Jesus is saying you have to reject your feelings toward those people because I know you feel bad about them. And a matter of fact, I believe that Jesus would say it would be unwise of you to feel good about somebody who has harmed you. I mean, if so, like, for, honestly, if somebody every day, I, every time I see them, they just beat me down. You know what I'm saying? Should I get up and say, buddy, I feel real good about you? Now, that'd be weird. It'd be like, Clay's lost his mind, y'all. Now, what I could do is, man, that guy beat me up but I'm still going to choose to see him as God sees him, to realize that he's enslaved to sin, that he needs deliverance, and I will not respond. But when he curses me, I'm going to respond with blessing because I know that he's more than the way he's acting right now. I don't, I don't go based on my feelings. I feel bad toward him, but I don't go based on my feelings. I go based on what God says about him. That's how you know that it's not about feelings. Now, if you can love your enemies, you can love everyone, can't you? And he's saying you got to learn to love your enemies. Matter of fact, some of y'all, you got people in your mind right now that you could probably put on the enemy list. You know what I'm talking about? Right now, these people right here just kind of, get, they're getting right there, they're getting close. And he's saying you need to take that list and actually go out of your way to bless those people. He says, because if you, do, if you don't do that, he said, everybody says hi to the people they like. Well, how are you any different in the world if you just love the people who love you? He says, you want to be different. You want to reveal to people that you're a Christian. He says, you need to love those who nobody else is loving and even love those who are actually mistreating you or hurting you. Now, there are, there are four words for love. This is going to be kind of a, a review for a lot of you. But there are four words for love in the Greek language. And the reason I always, I always tell little stories about why, why uh, you know, I, I, I've told the story a lot of times about how my wife put me on the same level as processed cheese one time. Because she said she loved processed cheese, then she said she loved me. I was hanging out with a dude the other day, and we were standing outside, and he was talking about how much he loved Jesus and how much Jesus had done for him. And, and, and the conversa conversation shifted, and he was smoking a cigarette. By the time he got to the end of the cigarette, I asked him a question about cigarettes. Just no, 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 I wasn't trying, no harm, no foul. I just asked him a question about cigarettes. And, he, and, and somebody said something about another brand of cigarettes. He said, no, man, I love Marlboros. Now, my point being is there's, that's got to be somehow different than the love he has for Jesus, right? He can't love Marlboro's the way that he loves Jesus. Or maybe he can, I don't know. Maybe Marlboro's are that good. Maybe Marlboro's have treated him that good. But the point being, the point being is, is, that, is that, that we got one word for love in, in, in the English language, and there's a war on love because the big part, the, the, the difficult part of us is we can't, nobody can define what it is. We got sayings where love is love, love wins. And nobody knows what in the world anybody's talking about. Because you can love Marlboro's, you can love Jesus, you can love, I can love your sweater. I can love anything. And, and we just say it so flippantly, but in the Greek language, we actually have four different words for love. The first word for love is this word storge. It's an affection for or a liking of something. So what he was doing, he was saying, man, I storge Marlboro's. 
and I, and I realize that really, really, he just likes Marlboros. He's not intimately in love with them. He's not willing to lay down his life for the betterment of Marlboro Company. Amen? Because if he is, that's weird. Marlboro's about to go down. What can I do, man? What can I do to keep Marlboro open? You know what I'm saying? Can I lay down my life? If I, <laughs> I don't know. My bad. Se- second one is phileo. Now, the first one, storge, it's the kind of love when you look at something. You look at it, and you say, man, I like that. I like that. The, the phileo, the second kind of love is friendship love. This is when you look with someone. You have a companion. You have a friend. You have somebody that you can share your heart with. And a lot of times, see, the Bible, the Bible talks about brotherly love. It talks about loving one another with that companionship, that relationship. And we have that. Like we, we, we say, Usually when we say, hey, man, I love you. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. And then the third one is eros. It's a romantic, sensual, sexual love. And most of the time when people talk about love in our culture, this is actually the love that we're, talk- that we're talking about. When it comes to Valentine's Day and all this stuff, this is that word, eros. It's romantic, sensual. So it's the kind of love where you're looking into someone, right? Now, now this love is, is very interesting because it has... So, so especially storge and eros... It has a lot to do with your feelings. It has a ton to do with your feelings. Matter of fact, eros is all about feelings. It works because you feel it. It's all those chemical reactions, man, when you get the butterflies and the electric bolts go through you. And you know what I'm saying? You're just deeply attracted. Like that's, that's, that, that's a part of who we are. But here's what I want you to understand. So, so let me go to this next one, agape. Agape is a love that we are commanded to have regardless of feelings. When we read 1 Corinthians 13, this is where it says agape is patient. Agape is kind. It's not any of these other loves. And you say, well, are those other loves even in the Bible? They absolutely are. Matter of fact, one time Jesus comes to Peter after he had denied him, and he said, Peter, do you agape me? Peter responded, Lord, you know I phileo you. Man, that's deep, isn't it? Peter, do you agape me? Are you willing to lay down your life for me rather than deny me? Peter says, Lord, you know, really, when it comes right down to it, I only like you like a friend. He said, because Peter came to a realization that the only way that agape was going to come into his heart is if he let Jesus do it in him. And some of you all, when you date non-Christians and unbelievers, the Bible says that it is, the, it is this love of God, this agape is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And what I'm telling you is, you need to be careful when you're dating, when you're developing relationships with unbelievers, because it's impossible for an unbeliever to agape you. They may truly storge or phileo or eros you, and all of those three things can be very powerful. They like the way you look. They like the way you talk. They like the way you smell. And they are good friends with you and love you in a friendship type of way. And it almost looks like they would be self-sacrificial for you, and they definitely have some eros for you because all their chemicals are going crazy. But at the end of the day, if they're not willing to lay down their life for you, you should never give them eros. That's why in marriage, you've got to have all four of these. And marriage cannot work until you've got agape where they're willing to lay down their life for you. Now, eros is crazy too because this is why it only works in marriage. Because in, in, the way God has designed our bodies is when you have sex with a person, I know it gets weird in church anytime somebody talks about this, but we'll just go with it. When you do, there is a chemical in your body released called oxytocin. And it's like, it's, like a, it's, like, it's like a big piece of tape is what it is. 
And so when you have that kind of relationship with a person, every time that happens, you release this chemical that causes you to bond to that person. Now, this is the reason why it's so easy for people to get addicted to pornography. This is why when you have multiple, multiple sexual relationships, it's hard to commit to one individual because you have spread your tape all over the place and now it doesn't have any sticky left on it. It's true. Now, what I need you to understand is very few people stay pure until marriage so their sticky is is gone a lot. But I want to tell you this, that God loves you so much, if you're willing to repent, He can restore your sticky. Amen? Because he wants, he wants you to have a relationship where all of these four loves are at work and they can only all four be at work inside the covenant of self-sacrificial, self-giving love in marriage. It's the only way that they, those four can work. So you've got to understand that when he talks about that, he's talking about self-sacrificial, self-giving love. Number two, this kind of agape love is a commitment It's a commitment to ascribe worth to another at a cost of oneself. Put that up there. Love is a commitment to ascribe worth to another at a cost to oneself. It's a commitment to act. And this kind of love, see, if Storge is looking at, and Phileo is looking with, and Eros is looking into, then this love is actually blind. This love doesn't look at anything because it goes deeper. Matter of fact, I want to say that this kind of love, agape love, is actually learning to look the way that God looks. You look past the exterior. You look past the outward appearance. You look past the circumstances of life. And you look past that into the heart of that person. And you see the value and the worth of that person that Jesus said they were worth when he said, you know what, that person is so valuable to me, I'm willing to die for them. Now, you may be talking about crazy people, right? Because we know, I know some crazy people. And sometimes it's hard for me to love them. And I have a difficulty with that. But then all of a sudden, when I pray for them, God says, look past all that. Because they're worth way more than that. And you know the struggles that you've been in that I've set you free from. And so all of a sudden, this agape, it gives us God eyes. We start to look past the exterior. We see what that person is worth and, what, and the value of that person. And this is where the prophetic ministry actually comes into play. Because all of a sudden, when you can see in a person what no one else sees, guess what you can do? You can release God's heart over their life, and it shatters the outside of them. The walls begin to break down because they realize that they're not defined by what they've done up to this point in their life. And all of a sudden, that stuff breaks down because God sees the real them, and everything changes. 1 John three sixteen. This kind of agape love is revealed right here. It says, this is how we know what agape is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's challenging, isn't it? Are we willing, as a people, is our Christianity important enough to us that we're willing to lay down our lives for one another? I know that's challenging. See, I want you to understand that when you take a vow, for example, in marriage, you cannot be actually vowing to storge. Can you? Because, because guess what? I mean, if you marry a person because you like the way they dress, guess what? They'll probably end up dressing a lot weirder later on. I mean, my wife married me because I had a clean-shaven face, but that changed. 
Things are going to change. You cannot be actually marrying a person because you phileo them because sometimes you're going to be at it with one another and arguing and fighting, and it's not going to feel like you're very good friends. You can't be making a vow and a commitment to Eros because just like the song says, the chemicals ain't always hanging around. It definitely ain't going to be hanging around when you get up in your 80s. He's saying you cannot be making a vow to that kind of love. You've got to be making a vow to a kind of love that says in sickness and in health, in every difficulty and circumstance, I'm going to choose to self-sacrificially and self-givingly lay down my life for your betterment and I'm willing to give up all so that that make, to, to make sure that that happens. And the reason that we struggle so much in marriage is because we're not actually willing to do that. Matter of fact, what we call love is really at the end of the day because we have a desperate need and an attachment to things because we're so empty that I feel like I love you because I need you so badly to fulfill my needs. And I'm telling you that real love is not when I need you really bad because I'm empty. Real love is when I'm overflowing with love from God and I pour it out on you self-sacrificially. Real love is not about, give, not about taking, it's about giving. Amen. That means that in our relationships and in our marriages, I told Andrea, I said, Andrea, when we got married, I was like, I probably won't be that great of a husband, but I'll give it my best shot. But what you got to understand is, is that I cannot meet and fulfill your needs. God is the only one that can do that. And if God meets my needs and God meets your needs, then we will be able to overflow from that love of God to love one another properly. But I'm telling you, if you're counting on another person to meet your, meet your love needs, they're going to fail you every time. They're just not good enough. They're just not strong enough. They're just not loving enough. But if you find two people that are willing to receive their love from God every day and know that they're loved by Him, they're going to be overflowing with the love of God and their relationship is going to work well. Amen? So, agape is not something you can fall in and out of. Well, I just fell out of love with them. It's not like a rash that you just get and can put cream on it. You can't fall in and fall out of it. Agape is a choice, and you choose to get into it, and if you leave it, you choose to get out of it because it's a commitment. It's a commitment of self-sacrificial and self-giving love. John 13, 35, and we just, uh, Jesus said specifically, He said, look, you're going to be known that all the world is going to know that you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. That's how they're going to know. They're not going to know you're Christians because you can quote Scripture they're not going to know you're Christians. Even though those things are helpful, those things are good, they're not going to know you're Christian because you go to church on Sunday. They're going to know you're a Christian because you're willing to give of yourself for the betterment of others and love them self-sacrificially the same way that Jesus loved us. I like what it says, you know, in, in, in Philippians 1.9, it says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in, in knowledge and all discernment. Now this is an important verse. He's saying, I want your love to abound more and more, but it needs to abound in knowledge and in all discernment. Now, re revelation knowledge is what this is actually saying. And for example, you know, like a lot of times we, we, we'll even have people that will uh, ask for money, for example, right? And there have been times where I, I'll pray, I'll take it to the Lord and, 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 and I'll say, Lord, what do you think about this? How do you feel about this? And I'll have a peace. There's a revelation knowledge of you should bless this person. Okay? But then there's other times when I don't have peace. And I don't know what's going on. But see, you, you don't just love people ignorantly. You pay attention to what's going on. You pay attention to what the Spirit is saying. And you learn to discern. 
What's going on behind the scenes? He's saying sometimes you need to love and you need to be, be discerning. For example, let's just say that, that we have a person that 10, 15 years ago, they were convicted of child abuse, for example, and they come into our church, they get radically saved, they get born again, they've been doing good for a while, and all of a sudden they say, hey, I'd like to serve in the children's ministry. Well, we say, well, you know, it's probably not a good idea for you to serve in the children's ministry right now, just given what's going on. Well, then you don't love me. God's forgiven me. You don't love me. Now, we do love you, but the problem is, is we're using discernment. And right now, it would be unwise for us, in true love, to love those children the way that we should without protecting them because you may have something, you, you, you've been a part of something that we just can't put you in potential of doing something like that. You understand what I'm saying? Love has to be with knowledge. Love has to be discernment. It's not stupid. Love doesn't mean you're just a pushover all the time. It means you walk in wisdom. And sometimes love means saying no. Because some people, you know, here's the other thing. You have a relationship with a person. You have a relationship with a person. And this person you know is not leading you any closer to the Lord. And, and you know this person is not good for you. But then all of a sudden, you think it's not loving to let them go. I'm telling you right now, you need to let them go. It's not worth your relationship with God. Paul, matter of fact, Paul said your relationship with God is so important that it would be better if you didn't get married and have a relationship at all. He said your relationship with God is so important it would be better for you to just remain single. Now he says, now I'm not giving this as a commandment to all, but the point is, is that you start to think that your relationship with another human being is more important than your relationship with God. He's saying that's not right. You got to get these things in order. Put them in order. Keep them in order. God wants to give you good relationships with good people. He does. He absolutely does. Marriage is His idea. Loving relationships are His idea. But you can't just sit there and mess around with foolishness wondering whether or not this is going to be good for you or not. You've got to cut some things off sometimes. You've got to learn to say no. And sometimes that is the most loving thing. Look at what this verse says in the message. It says, So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much but well. Learn to love appropriately. Right? Learn to love appropriately. Because some people say, well, if you, you don't love them unless you're sec, uh, sexually involved with them. Right? Well, you don't have sex with me, you don't love me. People feel that way. And here's the other thing. Other people will be like, when, when you're just in friendships with some people, because this love does not mean that you storge them. There's some people that I don't like, but I choose to love them. You understand what I'm saying? There are some people that, uh, I mean, some of y'all, you know, Right now, there's a lot of people that don't like Donald Trump. But you got to love him, don't you? It's not about what you, it's not about whether or not you like them. It has nothing to do with even being their friend. There are some people that, I'll be honest with you, because of who they are and what they do, I cannot be their friend, but I can still love them. So he's saying, learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent and not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. Now let me tell you one last thing before we move on here. I'm, about to, I'm, I'm going to try to wrap it up as quickly as I can. But, but, but one of the things that that kind of really wars at true love is judgment. You remember when Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged? He said, because with the amount that you judge, it'll be measured back to you. 
And he said, matter of fact, when you look at another brother or sister, when you look at somebody, he said, if you, he said, before you pull the speck out of their eye, you need to pull the plank out of your own eye. What judgment is, if love has to do with me declaring value and worth over a person at a cost of myself, what judgment actually does is it detracts worth because I place a judgment on them and I say, well, because they're this or because they've done that, somehow or another they're less worthy, they're less valuable of my love for them. That's why judgment wars against the love of God. Now, now judgment is different than discernment. I need to discern sometimes, like, What's, what's going on? I'm not going to let violent people up in my house. Amen. If a dude's standing at my door with a gun, I can love him, but I ain't letting him in the house. Right? There's different ways that you, that you go about doing this. But judgment oftentimes detracts from the worth of somebody. Now, the third thing on the list, and it says this in 1 Corinthians 13, the first thing that it says in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's describing love is he says, love is patient. Love is patient. One, one translation says love suffers long. Now what Paul is not saying is you need to learn how to be a, patient, a more patient person. Now, most, I, I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time. You should never pray for patience. I mean, and, and, I, and I know what they're saying. What, what they're saying is if you pray for patience, then a bunch of crazy stuff is going to happen to put it to the test. And that may be true. But I think that's all a matter of perspective. I think a lot of crazy stuff happens is really in the eye of the beholder. Because I've noticed that there are a lot of people who there's just as much crazy stuff. It's just like I said before, there's just as much crazy stuff happening in this person's life as there is in this person's life. It's just that this person has a, a, a grounding in who they know God is so that crazy stuff doesn't affect them. Now, while this person is over here freaking out by the crazy stuff that's going on around them. They let, it, they let it get to them. They can't deal with it. They can't handle it. And what I'm saying is crazy stuff is always going to happen. You're always going to be affected. There's always going to be trials. There's always going to be troubles. We all have storms in our lives, period. It's not about whether or not there's storms. It's about whether or not you have patience and are able to do, deal with it. And it doesn't mean that you need to try harder to be a patient person. He's saying if you have love in you, you are a patient person. If you're in a relationship with God and He's filled you with His Spirit, you start to become patient and it starts to flow naturally from you. But see, what prevents us from being patient? You put, that, put this next slide up here. What pre presents us from being patient? The next one over that. Patience in the Greek, and we're, we're doing some word studies. Y'all all right with studying some Greek language every now and then? For those of you who don't know, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And what that actually does for us is it gives us some insight into what the Bible's actually saying sometimes. So the word for patience is this Greek word makrothymia, and it means you're slow to anger. How many of y'all are quick to anger? Yeah, praise God, we got some in here. Yeah, pardon me, it just depends. But then there, but so, so it means if I'm patient, what it actually means is I'm slow to anger. Now there's three words in the Bible, three words in the Greek language for anger. The first one is orge. Now, orge, it can be just and good, but it's when something we value is devalued by someone else. And let me just prove to you that it can be a good thing because in the Bible, there's one, you know, there's one place in the Bible when Jesus was angry. One place. Or when, I should say, when it says he was angry. And that's in the book of Mark. And in one particular time, Jesus was in the temple and there was a man with a withered hand. And the man with a withered hand walked in and the Pharisees stood back and be like... Let's see if he heals right here on the Sabbath. 
And it says that Jesus looked around at them knowing their thoughts and he was angry. Why? Because all of a sudden, they were valuing whether or not he kept the Sabbath over and above whether or not this man was healed. They devalued human life when human life was Jesus' greatest value. He was angry. Why? Because they devalued what he valued more than anything. Matter of fact, Jesus goes into the temple, and I'm, it doesn't say that he was angry, but I imagine when he started flipping over tables and made a switch and started driving out the animals and stuff, he didn't hit nobody, but he was driving out the animals and getting that stuff out of there. He said, y'all made my house a den of thieves. I imagine he was angry. Why? Because he valued the true worship of God, and he said, y'all made, a, made the house of God a den of thieves. They were devaluing something that he valued. Now, secondly is this word perorgismos. Now, you see orge is right in the middle of that word, but it means you take that orge that you have, that anger, and you push it down and you stuff it. Now, how many of you, you think patience is actually you getting madder than fire and not reacting? And what you do is you stuff it down on the inside, and well, I'm being patient. I'm just being patient. But the problem is, is you don't deal with it and you stuff it down on the inside and this word perogizmos, submerged anger, means bitterness because you take your anger and rather than dealing with it, you stuff it down and it just sits there and you become passive aggressive to everybody. And it look, you don't blow up on the outside. You're not at the third part, the thymos, explosive anger or rage, but you're at the tipping point. And you think you've been doing well with anger, but really you've just been stuffing it not dealing with it. That's why, let me tell you something. Let me give you a little relationship advice. When there is anger in the relationship, it's best that you go ahead and get angry and that you let it out. Show me that verse there, next verse. Ephesians chapter 4. It says, in your anger, in your orge, do not sin. So he's saying you can get angry, just make sure that you don't allow your anger to, to cause you to sin. Then he says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, perorgismos. So he's saying, you may get angry during the day at somebody, but don't go to bed with you stuffing it down. Man, that's a good word right there. Because I'm telling you right now, the majority of people in churches and in relationships, they got so much stuffed down anger that they've slept on. And, and, and that they are bitter in their own hearts. They have a hard time loving people because deep down they're angry with everybody. And guess what? That makes them extremely impatient. Any little thing that happens, because they got bitterness in their heart, they blow up into thigh moss, man. Explosive anger. Rage. It busts up out of them. And, 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 and the first thing that Paul is, he says, if you want to know what real love is, it's slow to anger. It deals with its anger. And it, and it recognizes above all things that these people are loved by God. And how can I be impatient with them when God was so patient with me? He's been so patient with me. So why are we un, impatient with people? And now, let, me, let me put it to you like this. Why, why am I impatient with people? It's because they're not valuing what I value most. But here's the, here's the lesson that I learned this week. Really, when, we are, when we're quick to anger and we find ourselves getting angry a lot and we're very impatient people, the truth is, is, is we're all lovers of things. We all love things. And, 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 and whatever we love the most is what we're going to get mad about whenever you don't love it like we do. But what I came to find, and when the Lord really searched my heart, He said, Clay, I want you to just think about and evaluate all the times that you get impatient and on the verge of anger. What are they the most of? And when I thought about it, they were little trivial things that were really not hardly anything at all, but it was about me and my convenience. 
And he said, you know why that is, Clay? He says, because really a lot of times you love yourself more than you love others. You love your own convenience more than you love others. Man, that's good right there. He said, the reason you get angry is because somebody is messing with your time and with your convenience and with your plan and with the way you wanted things to go for you. And when things aren't easy for you, you get angry. Why? Because you love yourself more than you love those people who have inconvenienced you. And that right there is a good word. I could give an altar call right now. Love is patient. We don't want things to inconvenience us, but that's why love begins at the cross. And see, that kind of impatience, that kind of anger that causes us to not be able to be patient with people and not love, love people, it's actually rooted in a deep-seated selfishness. And what, that's why Jesus says you've got to learn to deny your... If you're going to love people the way Jesus loves people, you have to learn to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. I have to die to myself and my own desires and my own wants. And that's something that we're all struggling with. Ain't nobody arrived there yet. But see, the last thing, and I'm going to close, you guys can come to the music. When I realize that I can choose to respond differently to people, and this is what I'm saying, love is a choice. You don't always have to feel it because, because sometimes people are going to tick you off, you're going to get upset, you're going to get mad, bad things are going to happen. But in that moment, you have a choice to respond. Just because you don't feel patient doesn't mean you can't manifest patience. You can stop in that moment and ask yourself, what is it that I love so much that is causing me to be impatient? I mean, we get impatient over bad drivers that cut us off. Why? Because I want to get there quicker than, than I'm getting there right now. <laughs> yeah, people are slow, Brian. But see, when I realize this, I can actually choose a different response. And so what Paul says in the first two, and that's the only two I'm going on, is he says, love is patient and love is kind. So what it chooses to do is, even though I feel that impatience coming up, I stop, I recognize I'm loving myself and my own convenience more than I'm loving this person. I turn my love to that person and I respond, instead of with impatience, with kindness. And kindness is simply the gentle, gracious ability to give yourself away. It is literally an undeserved blessing where you go out of your way to let a person know that they're cared for, that they're loved, and you bless them expecting nothing in return. That's what kindness is. And so my point being is, you say, well, I don't feel any of that. I don't feel God's love. I don't feel nothing. I don't feel like being patient with people. I don't feel like being kind. It has nothing to do with your feelings. What I'm telling you is, is that if you will step out on the Word of God in faith and say, God has called me to be a loving and, and patient and kind and generous person, then you know what? Forget your feelings. Step out on faith and be a loving, be a kind, be a generous person. Go out of your way to be kind to somebody and the more you do that, guess what? Your thoughts about yourself, your thoughts about God are going to change and before long the Holy Spirit is going to get a hold of your emotions and your feelings and your feelings are going to line up with the Word of God. Then all of a sudden you start to feel that patience. You start to feel that peace. You start to feel that love for people because now your mind is renewed. You think differently about yourself and guess what? Now if I call you dumb, fat, and ugly, you just laugh because you know I'm just playing even though I'll never do that under any circumstances. Because even sometimes jokes and sarcasm are just out of order. But love is kind. 
When you genuinely care about somebody, you'll go out of your way to benefit others. So listen, once you stand to your feet, I want to close the same way I opened. I want you to know more than anything that, that God loves you. And I believe this morning that God wants to go out of his way to show you an act of kindness. So I know I prayed for you in the beginning. But I want us to, 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 pray, to pray for some people again. And I want you to just respond from, to, to, to God. And if you want to, you can come forward and pray or pray where you're at. But I feel like he wants to go out of his way. The Lord wants to go out of his way to show his kindness to some people this morning. Would you just lift your hands to him, close your eyes for a minute. Lord, you know every person in this room. God, you've come to reveal your love. You've come to reveal your salvation and your goodness. And God, I just believe with everything in me that Holy Spirit, right now you're manifesting yourself in people's hearts and you are revealing the love of God to these people. And Lord, just like this song we're getting ready to, to sing, Lord, it talks about father, the cry of a child to their loving father that just declares that we belong to you, Lord. We're yours. We're your children. And our loving Father desires to give good gifts to His children. So, Lord, we receive the outpouring of Your Spirit, healing it in our spirits, healing in our mind and in our souls and in our bodies. Why don't you just put your head right on your put your hand on your head right quick? Why don't you just speak speak to your mind, Father? Right now, we just we just pray over each mind, God, perfect peace, perfect peace to overwhelm our thoughts and our minds. Lord, that our thoughts will come into alignment with just how much you care for us, with just how much you love us. Renew our minds, God. Renew our minds to the love of God that you have for us, Lord, so that we can love others the same way that you've loved us. Tear down every thought and every lie, God. Every spirit of shame that tries to name us and label us and tell us we're unworthy. Lord, we're worthy because you died. You showed us just how worthy we were. God, when you died on the cross for us and we declare over each person in this place this morning the worth of God, their value in your sight, Lord, and that your love would just begin to overwhelm them. I want you to put your hand on your heart right there in your soul. Lord, there's places of unforgiveness. There's places of darkness. But Lord, right now we choose to freely forgive those who have hurt us. We choose to freely forgive those who have offended us. Because Lord, you've been patient with us and we're going to make a choice to be patient with those around us. And Lord, give us eyes to see the way that you love them, God, so that we can love them in that same way, that we can have acts of kindness. But Lord, heal, heal us right now in our souls. God, take every fear, take every weakness and give us your strength. Lord, we ask you to fill us with your Holy Spirit and pour in an abundance of your love, God, in Jesus' name.